Welcome to the Erickson Covenant podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. It's no secret that we're living in a time that feels chaotic. It feels like we're experiencing some kind of upheaval. It seems like everywhere we look, there's some kind of thing happening that causes us to feel overwhelmed or stressed. There seems to be instability everywhere. And some of that is located very locally, very personally, where we're experiencing a lot of stress or anxiety, things that we're worried about or concerned about. But it seems to expand from there, doesn't it? And at a cultural level, political level, economic level, environmental level, at levels uh, that go far beyond our scope or ability to influence, it seems like there's a lot going on that could cause us tremendous stress. Is that true? I feel it. I I feel like there's kind of a palpable feeling of overwhelm, of confusion, of what, I don't even know what to think or what to do, of anger, of strain. Now, the truth is that that social upheaval, that experience of chaos or confusion is actually nothing new. If we will read our history, we will see that, wow, that's pretty common actually. Times of chaos, times of upheaval have been experienced down through the centuries, down through the ages, down through history, and often with far more dramatic and even devastating effects than we are experiencing, right? That's really true. Uh, Along with my morning routine of reading the Bible and praying and journaling, I've also been enjoying this year something that was produced by the same folks that made the one-year Bible. They produced the one-year history, one-year in Christian history, I think it's called. And what it is, is simply every day on the date of, there it features uh, usually a person, sometimes an event, but usually a person, and there's some connection with that particular date. Um, sometimes it's just a letter that was written, sometimes it's a significant death, sometimes it's a birth. I mean, there's a variety of things, but each day features someone. And I've enjoyed it. And one thing that's really stood out to me as I've swept back and forth through history in this little snapshot is how many of our Christian brothers and sisters have experienced tremendous times of chaos and upheaval in their their particular time. And of course, what's true is often our Christian brothers and sisters have borne the brunt of that, have lived right at the sharp edge of that chaos and have suffered in various ways or have had to persevere through tremendous uh, difficulty to just be faithful to Jesus. You read about young women thrown to lions or you read about uh, people who've just persevered over many, many, gener- many, many uh, you know, 
decades and decades just being faithful in really difficult circumstances. And it reminds me that whatever we might be experiencing now fits. Others have done it as well. It inspires me and it humbles me. But one of the things that really stands out to me, and I know they're highlighting some of the probably, uh, you know, some of our good examples, but it really struck me how calm and trusting God's people have been in the midst of real difficult circumstances. And that what has stood out is that kind of calm trust that they've demonstrated in the face of overwhelming darkness and difficulty. And hearing that and reading their stories has, yes, it has encouraged me. It's inspired me. But it's made me ask, what is it? How do these people face this kind of stuff, you know? With such assurance of God's care for them, even though clearly they're suffering. With such assurance that God has them, even if they're paying some of them the ultimate price for being faithful. Because this is what seems to set God's people apart. This is what sets followers of Jesus apart and continues to set them apart is their calm trust in the midst of chaos. They seem to have this kind of assured trust that God is leading them regardless of the storm that's going on, regardless of the upheaval and the chaos. What was it that they knew? What is it that enables or creates in us this kind of calm trust in chaotic times. That's our question for today as we finish off our summer in the Psalms in Psalm 23. Now I know, Psalm 23 is pretty well known, right? I mean, even people who don't know Ahab from Elijah know Psalm 23. You might be very unfamiliar with the Bible, but you've heard either the Lord is my shepherd or Something about a valley, a shadow of death. Most people have heard something about it. Some of you have taken Psalm 23 and held on to it during some of the darkest, most difficult experiences of your life. It is a beautiful psalm of comfort. But in some ways, it's the quintessential psalm. I mean, not only because it's, it's been you know, so, so beautifully written and offered to us with such vivid imagery. But there's something about it. It captures, you could say, almost the whole of the Psalms, the whole of our lives. Uh, you can spend your life in Psalm 23 and live out of that. And so much of the whole of the story of God, so much of the gospel is there. And so we're going to look in Psalm 23 today and see how these words create in us a calm trust in chaotic times. Uh, let's pray as we dive in. Lord Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You took Psalm 23 and made it flesh. And as we look now into Psalm 23, we're eager to receive this into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives, acknowledging that we feel often confused and we live in a world of chaos And yet because of you, because you are the good shepherd who leads us, we can be calmly trusting in you. I pray that as we dive now into Psalm 23, you would take these words and settle them deep within us. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There is something about Psalm 23. I think of Jesus taking Psalm 23 and saying, I'm going to show you Psalm 23 as it's now lived out. And he did that in John chapter 10. We already heard it read. In John chapter 10, he, he's contrasting himself with the false shepherds of Israel at the time. And you can read more about that. But there's a sense in which he's also taking up examples like Psalm 23 and saying, let me really show you this is who I am. So even as we go through Psalm 23, I'm going to make distinct connections to Jesus as we go through. You all know it, so I'll just go through it a few verses at a time, showing you that I think there's four kind of core truths that if we will hold on to them and let them settle within us, they really create the kind of contrast that we're talking about. The first comes out of the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Jesus, our good shepherd, is always proactive for our good. This is the first thing that stands out to me. There should be a picture that represents each of these four points. There we go. Jesus, our good shepherd, is proactive for our good. In these first few verses, do you notice how God is the one, that the Lord is the one who is initiating, who is active? How many words in this whole psalm are active verbs? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides. Later on in, in, the, in the psalm, he, he comforts me. He prepares a table before, for me, anoints my head. There's this active shepherd active God who's initiating on our behalf and we are responding to what he is doing for our good. This truth is so powerful. If we will begin to embrace and feel and understand that there is a Lord, that there is a good shepherd, that Jesus himself is always proactive for our good, initiating for our good, that no matter the circumstance we're in, no matter the difficulty that might be happening, he is the God who is working it all out for good for those who love him. Romans 8, 28, right? There's a proactivity. We often feel when there's chaos happening in our lives that we are um, somehow, like somebody else is messing with me or I'm on the defensive here. Or I'm just, I'm being overwhelmed. And we can wonder, God, why aren't you doing anything? I mean, where are you? And we hear that voice in the Psalms, right? How long, Lord? Are you going to just stand there forever, right? And what's true, and we hear it right here in the Psalm, we hear it all the way through, is at the bottom of everything, even in those times of darkness and difficulty, there is a shepherd who is always proactive for our good. Always initiating for our good. And that's the gospel. That's the good news, actually, that Christians believe and rely upon and preach. That there's a God who saw us in our plight and in our difficulty, saw us in our bondage and in our trap, and said, I'm going to work for their good. I'm going to do what they can't do. I'm going to initiate on their behalf. That's the story of Jesus coming, right? That he took on flesh that he took upon himself our sin, that he initiated on our behalf and did what we couldn't do so that we could come and be part of his life. 
And so the very first thing that comes so clear out of Psalm 23, and if we will receive this and hold on to this, think of the way it will alter your feeling even about what's going on in your life. If you know that you know that you know, there's a God who is always acting proactively for your good. You can trust him. You may not always see what it is. You may not always know how it's working, but you can be assured that because the Lord is your shepherd, you lack nothing. Because he's the kind of shepherd Jesus is the kind of God who is always acting proactive for our good. That's the first thing we see, and it makes a huge difference. Second, we go on. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or let's, like, you know, I don't do this very often because, well, I just don't quote the King James very often. I'll just leave it at that. But this is one of those lines where it's better. Are you with me? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, right? Because thou art with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Woo! I love that line. And what does it tell us? This is the line that I uh, love to preach at funerals because it tells me that we have a shepherd who walks with us through the darkest valley, who is present in our pain. That Jesus, our good shepherd, is not unfamiliar with suffering, but rather came to take unto himself our suffering, our pain. That he is with us in that darkest valley, in the valley of the shadow of death that this is why he entered into our world, so that he could participate, take over, take unto himself our bondage, our suffering. The great prophet Isaiah, of course, told about him coming in Isaiah 53 when he said, surely he bore our sorrows. Surely he bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And that's the good news story of Jesus. That he wasn't a God who was aloof to what was happening in our lives or in his world, but came not only to be present to it, but to take it unto himself. Even though we walk through the darkest of valleys, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because, and the key word is, you are with me. I like to remind people at funerals, the reason why we can be so confident when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, whether it's the death of a loved one or whether it's our own death, is because we follow a Savior who what? Has already gone through the valley of the shadow of death and came out alive. And what kind of guide do you trust going through a dark valley and you don't know the way? You trust a guide who's been there before, right? When I was training for this ultramarathon I did in July, I went up and ran. Have you ever heard of the Darkwoods Conservancy? And don't you just love that name? The Darkwoods Conservancy over on the far side of the valley. Anyone heard of that? There's a massive bunch of land out there that you can hike in and run in if you'd like. So I'm up there one morning with my friend Andrew. And as we ascended higher into the mountain, we ascended higher into the clouds. And it got pretty milky up there murky. And it's old roads and old signs that have fallen down. And we're doing, we took a left and we took a right and we took another left. And I'm telling you, 
if I hadn't been with Andrew, I'd still be up there <laughs> in the Darkwoods Conservancy. Because I got really turned around. And of course, when you're in that low cloud, and then you're on old trails, so it's kind of old, old poplars have grown in, right? And there's a tremendous amount of runoff happening at the time, so it's kind of loud, and you're kind of thinking, this is the time we're going to run to a bear, because they're not even going to hear us coming. Um, if I hadn't been there with a guide who'd been there before, who said, no, it's here, you turn left here, turn right here, yep, 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 I'd have been lost. But because I was with a guide who knew the way, I ran with confidence because surely Andrew wouldn't let me down. It's the same here. When we face the dark valley of our lives or the darkness that is, seems to be enveloping the globe or the, the chaos we experience both personally and globally, to know that we have one who is with us in that suffering, with us in that pain, who knows the way and will lead us through, gives us all the confidence in the world, doesn't it? That's the kind of calm trust that we can experience even when it seems like chaos is raging, even when everything within us wants to be anxious and stressed. Say, oh, I don't need to worry. He's with me. He's with me. I may not know what's going on. I may not be able to explain why life seems so nuts. I may not be able to um, understand that person in my family or that guy at work. I may not understand that politician or that cultural movement but I do know Jesus is with me in this. I, not, I may not be able to put my finger on why my body continues to suffer or why this mental health problem continues to surface. I may not understand all that, but I do know that I have a good shepherd who is with me in that pain and has said, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because, say it with me, you are with me. He's present in our pain. Let's keep going. Verse five. I already alluded to this during communion. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We have a good shepherd in Jesus who is providing us exactly what we need. He provides us what we need. Now, it is interesting to me when you have the whole story of the gospel when you have the whole story of the coming of Christ, when you have the story of his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, when you have stories all over where there are tables and there are cups and there's oil, and you have this one little verse, it's hard not to see how that connects to the work of the Good Shepherd providing us exactly what we need. When we're in times of chaos and times of struggle, we can feel like we lack exactly what we need, Right? Like the very thing we need, we don't have. Which is, of course, why the first line of Psalm 23 is so striking for all of us. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And I know some of you are like me and you think, really? I feel like I, I, I actually feel like I lack quite a bit, actually. Anyone? <laughs> like, what do you mean I lack nothing? I lack a lot of things. I've got a laundry list of things I've been telling God I lack. How can I say the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing? Here in this beautiful verse, there is this statement that God, our shepherd, Jesus, our good shepherd, is providing for us what we need when we need it. 
This is an image of a, uh, almost of a, a, a Bedouin type of tribes person who's out in the wilderness with tents and has a, has, you know, kind of like an Abrahamic uh, image, maybe if you've read it in Genesis. And it's a sense in which you've been welcomed into the tent and provided meal and protection, hospitality of a guest, the Middle Eastern hospitality. Uh, and, and, and so now you're being sat at a table where everything's being provided for you. That's kind of in this image here. But as people who've received the whole story of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit, we see immediately that the table that our good shepherd provided for us is the table we've already come to. The table of his own body and his own blood shed for us. That he prepared a table for us to provide for us exactly what we truly need. That he is the one who is all sufficient for us. We often look around and think, I need this, I need this, I need this, and I need this. And if God, are you really were being proactive for my good, you'd know it and take care of it. And Jesus is saying, the biggest thing you need to understand in life is that I am sufficient. That I've prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies, acknowledging the chaos, acknowledging the lack even. But I've prepared a table for you. Come and sit at my table. I've welcomed you to my feast and I'm asking you to trust that I can be your sufficient savior, that I am what you truly need. Because one of the biggest challenges in our lives as followers of Jesus is that we are constantly thinking there's something else that I need to have a flourishing life. There's someone I need to be in relationship with. There's someone I need to get out of relationship with. There's some job I need. There's some understanding I need to have. There's some something, God, that I need to have so that I can truly flourish. And what Jesus, our good shepherd, is doing is he's leading us to the table and saying, until you perfectly understand and can perfectly trust the sufficiency of me, nothing else will make sense. Nothing else will even help. We come to the table to receive exactly what we need, that Jesus is our sufficient sacrifice, our sufficient Savior. But also this idea of oil, anointing your head with oil, which could be a hospitality thing, it could be a cleansing thing. But friends, if you read the whole of the scripture, who gets anointed? In the old story, in the, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, who gets their heads poured with oil? Name them. Kings and priests and prophets. That's right. That's who gets anointed. And what do they get anointed for? some kind of mission, some kind of job, some kind of ministry that they have, representing God to the people, representing the people to God, giving God's word, leading God's people. And Jesus comes, of course, as the perfect prophet, priest, and king, fulfilling all those things perfectly, being anointed as, you know what the Christ means, right? It means Anointed one. You know what Messiah means? Oh, it also means the same thing. Isn't it interesting that the anointing of Jesus is then passed on to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, where we are anointed. We are gifted with God's Holy Spirit so that we are commissioned, equipped, and sent into the mission that God has for us to share God's word with the world, to intercede, to lead, to be the people of God for the world. 
And so even here in Psalm 23, it's so interesting to me that you come to the table and receive the all-sufficient Christ, knowing that he is the one that we truly need, but we also receive anointing, which cleanses us, yes, but commissions us for sure into the mission that God has for us. The enemies are still out there. The chaos still reigns, but we've received all that we need, not only for our own provision, but for the mission that God has sent us on. And with those two things, with the table of the Lord and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, your cup does overflow. The cup overflowing is such a beautiful image of abundance, isn't it? In that same chapter, John chapter 10, Jesus said, even though the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy, I've come so that people can have life and have it to the full, abundant life. In John chapter seven, he talked about how the Holy Spirit would come. And he would come and out of the, your innermost being, what would happen? There'd be an overflow of this water of life. And of course, then John gives us this little, oh, and by that he meant the Holy Spirit. When we have understood and received and are holding on to the all-sufficiency of Christ, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we can live even in the midst of chaos and suffering and strife and difficulty. We can be a people whose cups are overflowing. Not only this one-year history, but I, I, I like to read history. You know that. I read a lot of Christian history. I'm, I'm listening to another book right now called Water from a Deep Well by a prof from Spokane, actually. And he, this beautiful history where he's taking us from, from martyrs down through the centuries and kind of looking at the people of God, variety of, of historic and movements and various things. And it is amazing to see how the people of God through the ages, through difficulties, through different experience of that overflowing of joy. Even in the midst of crazy death of kids and, 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 and uh, crazy pressures, how they're able to experience a joy that isn't explainable because they got what they needed. You know what I mean? It's not explainable because the laundry list of things they've been asking God for got checked off. No, no. They didn't have what they needed in the human sense. But they knew they had Jesus with them. And in the midst of suffering, their cups were overflowing. There was a joy, a vitality, even when they were on their deathbeds, a, a joy and a vitality that comes from the Holy Spirit's anointing and knowing the all-sufficiency of Christ. Our good shepherd Jesus provides us exactly what we need. It might mean that he has to change our perspective on what we think we need, but he will provide exactly what we need. We will be able to say, because the Lord is our shepherd, I lack nothing. Let's finish. The last verse. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this. There's such confidence here that we're given a promise by our good shepherd that his grace will be with us forever. His grace will be with us now as he is proactive for our good, he's present in our pain, he's providing us exactly what we need, but he has promised that his goodness, his love will follow. And that word follow there is, is a weak word. It's, it's, it's really, uh, the better translation would be chases after, actively getting almost right at your heels. This mercy and love, this goodness and love, this grace of our good shepherd is something that is so proactive for our good, but it's chasing us down the street too. I love that image. Think about that next time. You know, God isn't wondering, oh man, what am I going to do with that guy? And I know some of us are wondering, God, where are you? 
But if we will attach ourselves to this image of a God who said, I'm promising you that I'm chasing you down. I'm after you. I'm proactive for your good. I'm providing what you need. I'm present in your pain. We'll be able to hold on to that promise. And that does create the kind of calm trust that we need. A God who is completely committed to your good. I, I love this image. Uh, he, he is surely, you know, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remember uh, a few weeks ago, I preached on Psalm 27. In Psalm 27, there's a beautiful prayer. You know, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Remember that one? A little later on, it says, one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, you know. And in, in, in that prayer, that Psalm 27 prayer, there's, a, there's saying, there's only one thing I really want, and that is to be present with the Lord, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. At the end of the big book, the whole Bible, at the end of the book of Revelation, we have this amazing image. Remember, uh, the new Jerusalem has descended, it represents the people of God, and, and, and then there's a voice from the throne. We've been receiving all the way through Revelation, there's voices from the throne. The voice from the throne says, look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And it's one of the most powerful images in scripture because it's God coming to dwell with his people and there's this fulfillment, this promise that he gives. Jesus, remember he said, look, I'm going away to prepare a place, but I'm not abandoning you. I want you to be with me exactly where I am, right? John 14. And there's all through the story is God's desire to dwell with his people. That's what Exodus is all about. To dwell with his people and his people to dwell with him. And at the end of the story, that promise, but that desire is fulfilled. In Psalm 23, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever as a statement of faith. What we see through all the scriptures is God is saying, oh yeah, I put that desire there. I'm going to complete it. I promise you, promise you, promise you that no matter what you're going through, what you're experiencing, you are going to dwell with me. And I'm going to make good on that promise. Psalm 23 was made flesh and blood through our Savior, our Shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is the one from start to finish proactively sought our good and continues to do so. He is the one that came and became present to our suffering and pain of the whole world, but to you as well. And he continues to do that. He continues to be present in your suffering. Whatever you are going through, Jesus is present to you. And in that context, is providing you exactly what you need. Part of the story of Christian formation that the Holy Spirit needs to do in our lives, and it often only happens through suffering, is all the things we thought we needed are stripped away until we will finally discover the one we truly need is sufficient enough. And that's Jesus. And in that context, he is providing us exactly what we need, anointing us by the Spirit, and even giving us joy. And all of that because he's committed to not only bringing good and grace into our lives now, but will do so forever. This is Jesus, our Good Shepherd. And so, as we close this message, but also this series of the Psalms, my hope and prayer, our hope and prayer as a preaching team, as our leadership team, is that this playlist of the Psalms would continue to be a prayer list for you, a song list for you. 
God's people have prayed this prayer list down through the centuries. To make this and these words to begin to be part of your very vocabulary for talking to God and even talking about God. And letting Jesus, who put the word, on, you know, made the word flesh, take these psalms and prayed these psalms, and now by the Holy Spirit, pray them through us to begin to discover new ways in which God is good and God can be trusted. This is what Psalm 23 tells us, but it's what all the psalms tell us. That we have a God who is good and a God that we can trust. I don't know what kind of struggle you're experiencing. I know some of your struggles because you've kindly told me some of them. But many of you have a silent struggle, are experiencing a chaos that none of us know anything about. My hope and my prayer for you is that you would even take these six powerful verses and begin to let the Holy Spirit settle them into your heart, settle them into your mind. I can make you this assurance. If you will pray Psalm 23 and let the Holy Spirit weave these truths into your heart, so that you can approach each day, regardless of what's happening, knowing the four things we've highlighted. Your experience in the midst of chaos will shift. I'm not saying it will go away. I'm not saying the chaos will somehow be subdued. But I am saying that you and I can experience a calm trust that stands out, even when the storms are raging. John Wesley, very famously, was crossing the Atlantic one time. This is before John had had his famous conversion with a strangely warmed heart and came to an assurance of salvation. Uh, He was, you know, knew of Jesus and was exploring faith and all that. But he was on a ship and they were experiencing tremendously bad weather. They were in the midst of a storm and people were freaking out. I would have probably been freaking out too, okay? People were freaking out, except there was this one group They were the Moravians. They were a group of people that, uh, through the influence of Count Zinzendorf, and and there's some history there, had really, um, as a a community, had come to focus on the joy of knowing the joy of the Lord and calmly trusting him in the midst of whatever. That was kind of one of their feature strengths as a movement. And what struck John Wesley as, you know, literally people are freaking out, screaming, weeping, and crying, is that there's this group of people over, over there that are singing hymns, that are praying, and that seem, quite frankly, not that concerned with what's going on. He was so struck by that. And he asked, what's going on? And they told him, well, whether the ship goes down or, the, or we sail on through, we're safe, we're safe in, in Jesus. He's got us. We're not that concerned. <laughs> that stuck with John Wesley as it may have stuck with you. Because there was something about their calm trust that witnessed to him in a powerful way. It suggested for him that even though they were all experiencing the same chaos and storm, there was a different way of experiencing it. There was a different way of responding to it. And it had everything to do with trust in the God they believed in. They trusted in their Savior. They trusted in their shepherd. And as a result, their experience in the midst of the storm was palpably different. Ours can be too. Ours can be too. We're going to come, uh, the team's going to come, we're going to lead you again in Psalm 23, and I'll, I'll try not to sing the old version of it this time, uh, sing the actual newer version. Uh, but what we invite you to do as we, as we sing uh, Psalm 23 is to make this your prayer. 
It takes many of the words, not all of them, but many of the words from Psalm 23 to make this your prayer. And in the days ahead, in the fall as it comes to us, that we would pray that we would be a people who exhibit the kind of calm trust in the shepherd who's got us and that that calm trust would be a witness to the world around us. We're surrounded by people who are experiencing tremendous stress and chaos. Could it be that as we experience the calm trust in Jesus, others will be drawn to put their trust in him too? Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.